Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good to see you. Those watching online, thank you again for being here. I hope um, everyone had a great Christmas together this past week. Um, and yes, crazy, it is the last day of 2023. Um, how many of you are at the age where the idea of staying out late is not enticing at all? And, and you're like, yep, yep, most of us. Okay. I think I've hit that age, right? Where I'm like, nope, rather just stay in my bed. <laughs> uh, so I am dragging my wife out, family tonight, to one New Year's Eve party, but we will probably be home in bed by eight, nine o'clock. So um, that's where we're at. That's just where we're at. So um, I'm excited to be with you, though, this morning. And we're starting a new series we're calling Growth in the New Year. And we're going to spend these next three weeks. Um, looking at areas in our lives where you and I can grow. How many of you know we can always be growing, right? We can always be improving. In the life of a believer, um, we can always be improving in these area, in some of these areas. We're going to talk about this morning about growing in the area of generosity. Next week, in the area of serving, and the week after that, in the area of community, engaging in community. Um, so this morning, I want to talk about growing in generosity. And um, as we start off, I want to ask you, what, what's something practically in your life that you've had to improve on? If you think about that, what's just something that you realize, okay, I can do better in this area? For that, We've all had those things, right? Um, but how do we go about doing that? Uh, how do we go about changing or improving in some area, whether that be a behavior, a pattern, a spiritual discipline, whatever that would be, something that I've always done a certain way, but I want to get better at that thing. It, it, we know that it's not easy. We've all heard the stats, the, the experts, whoever they are, say it takes um, 10 weeks, right, of consistent repetition for something to become a new healthy habit. Um, so it's not quick. It's not easy. There is... Uh, work required when you and I have to change the way we do something, right? Um, so in um, in these three areas we'll discuss over the next three weeks, I believe it's much in the same way. See, you and I are used, we've probably gotten comfortable in the way that we've always been generous or how we've, you know, what level to what we've given. We, we're probably used to as a family, as a couple, whatever, an individual, and how I've engaged in serving, Right? And it's the same way in community. We're probably comfortable, we're probably content in the way in which we've always engaged in community. So if that's the case, and if there's areas in those ways um, that we can grow, how do we do that? It is going to be through discipline. It's going to be some hard work. Uh, for, for me, um, I had a goal a few years back of getting back into swimming laps. Um, sorry if you get... Um, I'm bored with Pastor Barnes and I swimming stories because we both swam growing up. I was a competitive swimmer, did it since I was little, and um, swam through high school. I was a high, a high school and middle school swim coach after I graduated college as well. Um, but myself, I had just gotten out of it, right? Life happens, kids happened, and um, I'd got the dad bod, you know, and so um, I, I, was, I was just out of it. Um, um, Pastor Barden came to me though one day, he talked me into doing this triathlon. Okay. Actually it was the other way around. I talked him into doing it. But, um, so we had this grand idea of doing this triathlon. Well, it meant swimming 300 yards in open water, no stopping, no, right? No wall that you could grab onto. If you got tired, no bottom of the pool that you could stand up in. So I had to swim it straight. So I thought, well, this is going to be rough. I haven't swam in five, six years, whatever it was. So I get a membership at the pool. I go back to the pool. I, I, the first day, I'm like, man, this is going to be rough. I knew it. 
I could swim about two lengths of the pool without stopping. That was it. And I needed to swim 12, okay, to get to my 300 yards. I thought, this is going to be rough. But the encouragement of Pastor and my buddy Aaron and my wife, um, I, I stayed with it. And I'm happy to say that they ended up canceling the portion of the swimming in the triathlon. No kidding, no joke, they did. But, um, but needless to say, uh, needless to say, I stuck with it. And I, I'm still swimming every day, my laps. Um, I'm, I'm happy, I, I love doing it. Um, I can swim much more than 12 lengths. It took hard work for me to get there, though. I think in these areas we're discussing this morning, even, it's going to take some discipline. But the end result was worth it, right? I, I want our church to think about this morning about the potential impact of a church getting better in these three areas. Can you imagine a whole community that, um, that was more generous, can you imagine a church community that became even better at serving their community? Can you imagine a church that better engaged in biblical community and brought others into that? Can you imagine the, the, the potential impact of that happening? Right? I, I think it's worth our, our discussion this morning. So I want to talk this morning specifically, as I said, about um, generosity and why it's important, growing in generosity. I'm going to give you three points where I think it's important in the life of a believer. Um, number one, I believe generosity keeps me others focused. Generosity keeps you and I others focused. Um, can I tell you one of my favorite parts about working at Living Word, about being able to um, serve you all, is um, witnessing these um, extreme acts of generosity. I love it. it. It does something to my heart. It's so encouraging, whether that be through the outreach events that we do throughout the year and just serving and loving our community. I love seeing you all be generous with your time. Um, Christmas time is a perfect um, time of the year for, for these acts of generosity. These are, these are things that many of you will never hear or, or, or see happen. These are happening behind the scenes, but I want to share a few with you this morning. Um, I, had a, I had a couple come up to me before Christmas and they handed me an envelope and they said, Pastor Brandon, would you deliver this to so-and-so? And, -so? and I, I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. I knew what was in that envelope and I knew how it was going to bless them. Um, I handed it to this individual. Um, they didn't open it right away and they were busy doing some other things. They call me later. Um, I can hear the tears and husband and wife, um, for one, they tried to get me to tell them who gave it, to <laughs> but it was anonymous. Um, they had had a hard diagnosis this past year. And it, um, it changed their Christmas time. That act of generosity was big for them, right? Um, I had another family that came to me towards the beginning of before Christmas again, and they said, Pastor Brandon, you know, we've been blessed this past year. We'd like to provide Christmas gifts to a family that could use it. So we connected them with the family, and Christmas, that, that one family provided Christmas gifts for the other family for Christmas. Isn't that amazing? I had another family that said, you know, Pastor Brandon, um, my husband actually lost his job, and he's been looking for a job for most of the year. But you know what? God blessed us recently. He's just gotten a new job. He's loving it. We'd like to pass on that blessing to somebody else. Even without a job, they decided to be generous and, and gave me a gift card for um, about a whole month's worth of groceries for a family in need. Isn't that incredible? I love that kind of stuff that you all do. Pastor Barr and I will say it till we're blue in the face. We have an incredibly generous church. I love, and so it's a blessing for me to be a part of those things. And there are so many others that I could share. Those are just a few just from this past month of, of the generosity of our church. Um, generosity, you see, keeps us, as I said, focused on others' needs. 
It doesn't mean that you and I won't have our own struggles, right? Just like that family that had lost the job. It doesn't mean we won't go through things. But it means that even when we go through the difficulties, uh, um, generosity, it means that we can still be generous with others. Um, The materially poor, I believe, are just as called to be generous as are the materially wealthy. And I think that's a concept that we see in Scripture um, we, we all are familiar with the New Testament story of the widows and the, the widow and her might, right? That, the, the coinage, giving that last coin that she had, right? And the extreme act of generosity that that was for her to give everything, literally everything of what she had. Um, the, the, the one from Scripture we might not be as familiar with, I want to share with you this morning. So if you've got your Bibles or your um, devices with you, um, turn with me to um, the Old Testament book of First Kings. We're going to look into First Kings. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Um, this is the uh, fascinating um, section of Scripture where um, God has actually called Elijah out of Israel. Now, if you're familiar at all with the patterns of the Israelites in the Old Testament, you know their pattern was to constantly forget how God had provided for them, right? They they constantly forgot God's faithfulness, and then he'd have to remind them again and again, right? And and so they were in this phase of of forsaking God, so much so that the the section is going to, it tells us their evil king Ahab, had actually begun setting up idols to the false god of Baal, the false god of the Canaanites. And they were setting up temples and idols to this false god. And so uh, as symbolic of God removing his blessing from the Israelites, he removes Elijah. And he tells, he tells Elijah to leave. And to, to, he also, God also allows famine and drought to enter the land of Israel. Um, and yet... God would continue to provide for Elijah through really unique and creative ways. This is the section where God famously feeds Elijah with the crows or, or ravens, right? How many of y'all would love to be fed by birds? Okay, uh, <laughs> This is where God does that. So right after that, we're now going to read how, again, uh, how God again provides for Elijah in a unique way, this time through a poor, destitute Gentile woman, maybe the, the least unlikely generous person we can think. Um, so follow along there with me. This is First Kings 17, uh, verses 7 through 15. So some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Remember, God is sending the famine and the drought. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. She responds here in verse 12. She said, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Okay, you read that and you think, okay, she's being a little dramatic here. <laughs> what's, what's going on? I mean, listen, she's saying, she's being completely honest. She's like, listen, sir, we're so poor. I don't have any bread, right? We're, we're starving. Uh, I'm preparing to go home 
knowing that my family is, is on the brink of starvation and we're pre- preparing ourselves to die. She's being completely honest about the situation she's in. So Elijah then responds there, verse 13, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Now I want you to think for a minute, um, what incredible faith it would take this woman to trust this prophet. Remember, she's not Jewish. She doesn't know the God of Israel. She doesn't have anything to base something like that on. But do you know what I think Elijah gave her that day? I think he gave her the promise of some, of some hope, right? She had nothing. She was going, literally going home to prepare to die. And here this man comes and gives her a little bit of hope. Um, you, you know, church, when you and I run into people that are hopeless and we can give them a little bit of hope, um, it has incredible power to keep them going, Right? When people come around us and we can tell that they're looking for that hope, would you and I be ready, I pray, to give them that hope, right? And so that's what Elijah gave to this widow that day. She was willing to take a risk on that hope because she needed it. So verse 15, um, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Amen to God's word. His promises are good. Amen. So in her nothingness, God showed the widow that generosity was still possible. She had nothing and yet she could be generous. Um, how many times have we said to ourselves, have we, have we told God, God, I have nothing left, right? Whether that's emotionally, whether that's materially, God, I have nothing left. I think through this story, God, God can show us that he can use that nothing, right? The story continues. I encourage you to read that more on your own. Um, but at the end of the ordeal, the widow says to Elijah, now I, uh, now I know, I'm sorry, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Isn't that incredible? Here's a woman that did, was not Jewish, did not know the God of Israel, and yet God provided for her through the prophet Elijah, and now she came to believe that he was true. Incredible. That was a, that was a miracle in and of itself. But even in her poverty, she was able to be generous with what God had given her, and she was able to say with full confidence that the God of Israel was true. And I absolutely love that. So... Whether you are materially wealthy or poor, I believe generosity is all of our calling. It is God's gift to others through us. You see, that's what generosity is. One more story I want to share for you this morning, and then I want to—I need to move on. I had shared this with our staff one week at our weekly staff meeting, and it just so stuck out to me. I wanted to pass it on to you this morning. Many of you have heard us speak before of the author, and speaker Lee Strobel. Um, if you don't know his story, Lee was a, a journalist with the Chicago Sun Tribune, and he also happened to be an atheist. Um, his wife came home one day and told him that she had become a follower of Jesus. And Lee, in his journalistic fervor, he said, okay, I'll show you, and set out to, to prove his wife and all of Christianity wrong. <laughs> 
Um, he, he did hours and hours of interviews with professors, with theologians, with critics, with on and on and on. And, uh, of course, if you know the story, you know he ended up coming um, to, the, to the realization there was an overwhelming amount of evidence for the truth of the gospel and uh, became a believer himself. But before, before that happened, um, Lee writes in his book, A Case for Christmas, this incredible story of a family who had nothing and yet was still generous, and I want to share that with you this morning. Um, Lee was writing a series of articles for the Chicago Sun-Tribune on some of the neediest people in Chicago. And he, um, one of the families he was interviewing um, was named the Delgado family, and um, grandmother's name was Perfecta, 60 years old, old, caring for her two granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny, um, who had just been um, evicted from their roach-infested apartment. Lee goes to their home to interview them at their invitation. Um, He walks in the apartment and quickly realizes, oh my gosh, they have nothing. There was no furniture. There was nothing on the walls, no rugs on the floors, no decor, no decoration, no appliances, nothing. He says they had a table with a bowl of rice on it. Um, In talking with Grandmother Perfecta, he realized that between the girls, they each had one short sleeve dress, and and I'm sorry, they each had a dress, and they had one um, light sweatshirt. Walking then in through the winters in Chicago, the daughters would wear the sweatshirt halfway and then take it off and share with her sister for the other half. That was the reality of their poverty. What is wild, Lee writes, is that even in them lacking possessions, um, he says, despite their poverty and Perfecta's painful arthritis, she still talked confidently about her faith in Jesus. She was convinced he had not abandoned them. I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home, he writes. Instead, there was a gentle feeling of hope and peace. Man, I love that. He went on to write the article and, uh, the, about the Delgados and quickly moved on to his next writing assignment, Um, but Strobel writes that about a month later on Christmas Eve, um, he thought again of the family and decided to pop, to pop by their apartment. He goes in and he quickly realizes what had happened. Readers of the Chicago Sun Tribune had responded with overwhelming amount of generosity to this family. They now had uh, an apartment full of furniture a kitchen full of appliances, a pantry full of food, Christmas tree stuffed with Christmas um, presents under the tree. It was beautiful. Um, Strobel writes, and on top of that, thousands of dollars in cash had been donated to this family. Um, but in all that, what struck Lee the most w- w- was what was actually happening that day when he showed up. The Delgados were in the middle of giving most of it away. And he asked he asked Perfecta, he said, what are you doing? She said, um, our neighbors are still in need. How can we have plenty when they have nothing? Church, I think this is the generosity of Christ. Perfecta modeled that perfectly because she was generous, listen to this, at her expense for the benefit of others. No one would have faulted Perfecta if she had kept everything that she had gotten. No one would have been upset by that. that. She would lived a life of poverty, right? Why couldn't she have all this stuff now? But Perfecta saw that her neighbors were still in need. How, she, how could she have an overabundance of things when they had nothing? 
this type of generosity recognizes that because you and I, were, while we were still in our sin, while we were still in our mess and not deserving of anything from God, he sent his son and gave everything for you and me, gave his own life. Amen? While we didn't deserve it. That is the generosity of Christ. My second point this morning, um, moving on, is generosity reminds me of who my ultimate source is or reminds me of my ultimate source. Giving generously helps me see that my stuff is not my source. This also applies to giving of my time, my talents, my resources. Well, well, Pastor Brandon, you don't understand. I don't have a lot of time. We're super busy. Uh, whatever you have, give it generously. Well, Pastor Brandon, you don't understand. We don't have a lot. Things are super tight. I, I, it's okay. Whatever you have, give it generously. Uh, Pastor Brandon, I'm not good at much. I can't, I can't sing on the worship team. I can't play an instrument. I can't. Whatever you have, give it generously. I think that would be God's heart for us. Because of this reality, um, the materially poor can learn the ultimate joy isn't found in what more I can gain. Right? But, and this truth helps all of us kill any sense of entitlement. And for the materially wealthy, this truth, I believe, should lead me to share what God has given so abundantly. Understanding the giving of our excess is inherently connected to being good stewards of what we've been entrusted to by God. Church, we have to remember, we are not responsible for what we've been given, we were not, or the level of what we've been given. We're responsible to how we steward it, right? That's our responsibility. And so on the other side of this, we read about a man in the New Testament who was unable to give up that wealth, unwilling maybe. The account that some of us are familiar with of uh, the rich young ruler, and we can read about it in Mark ten seventeen. And just to summarize for us, um, Jesus is speaking with this, this young man, and he, Jesus lists all these commandments off. And the, the, the young guy says, oh, great, I'm good. I've done all those things. And of course, Jesus, who peers into our heart and knows us um, intimately, knows what this man's catch is. And he tells them, right, go away and give away all that you have and come and follow me. We read that this young man walks away dejected, deflated. Jesus has pointed out that this, this young man, it seems, was a slave to his money. Right? Um, that leads me to my last point then this morning. Um, as the worship team comes, they're going to help us close. I believe generosity is important because it is the fruit of a surrendered heart. It's said that the, the last part of a person to get saved is their wallets. <laughs> right? Why, why, why is that? Why is that? Many of us hold on to the things the longest that give us the most sense of security, right? We, 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 found, we, we found some kind of security in our finances, haven't we? In our money. For those of us who are materially wealthy and the materially poor do it as well in different ways. We, we found some security there. Things that are like our finances, then we give an elevated place of authority in our lives and they become idols, don't they? All of us can be, all of us can be guilty of this. But we know at the end of the day, our money cannot satisfy. Amen. It will not bring us joy. 
Listen to this Proverbs, uh, listen to wisdom here in Proverbs as, as we close here. Proverbs 11, um, 24 and 25 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. I love that. Another withholds unduly or in an unwarranted way, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Church, giving generously refreshes our souls. That, that, that line, it's better to give than receive, there's, there's truth to that. It strips any place of, uh, of authority or idolatry. I've given money or material things in my life and replaces it with the joy of giving to others. Being generous then reminds me of, of my ultimate source that's found only in Christ and helps me remain others-focused. So my question then as we close today, um, is my life fully surrendered to the Lord in the area of my finances? And um, I'm sorry if you're waiting on the edge of your seat thinking that I'm getting ready for a financial pitch here, <laughs> but that's not what I'm doing today. Um, here's my prayer for you as we go, as we go into the new year, um, growing in the area of generosity. I pray that this year, when God speaks to, to our hearts about being generous, um, that you would just say yes. Instead of questioning whether that would be God's will for you, I hope you've seen this morning that the answer is simply yes. Um, what, whatever that need may be, um, um, I, I pray that when God speaks to you, you'll just respond in obedience. Amen. Amen. Um, would you stand with me as we, um, as a worship team helps us close?